Hello and welcome to another episode of Preview Review. What's up? Oh, well, me, I'm just one co-host. Well, here I wasn't with talking to you, I was talking to the listener. Oh, that's why I said What's me. up, listener? I think they responded. Okay. We just can't hear them. Hopefully be- you're doing well. Because we're talking through time. Yes, it's very difficult. They can hear us, it's we like can't hear them. It's like an audio time capsule. We're, Every episode. We're recording and boxing this up and... When will our listener dig it up? What what future happenings will they know that we're unaware of in the present moment? Hmm. Well, they might know that I am Ryan Toon, one co-host of this podcast, and this is my fellow co-host, Tyler Ellison. Well, they probably will know that, but we also know that right now. So well, that's not... I'm hoping that they now know it even more, that yeah. I just said it. Okay. Uh, they might know that we're in a new studio. Maybe, if they listen to the last episode. Or if they but know we us. also have no control over which of our other time capsules they have opened. Yes. We no longer have episodes of Preview Review. We have time capsule uh, pieces. Capsule one. Ca- this is time capsule... <laughs> what episode are we? 39. 39. Yeah. Really? 39? That's a lot. Wow, I had no clue. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for over a year, but... I know, but... We're only on 39. That still seems like a lot to me. I'm proud of us. Me too. Well, if you're unaware of what this podcast is, uh, this is a movie trailer review podcast where we give you all of the best insight into the trailers of upcoming films, um, particularly films that are being released soon in the U.S. We don't. I'm not going to act like we pretend to have a global knowledge of like films on an international scale. Film release date schedules around the world are going crazy right now. China is just getting uh, another U.S. film. Like, the last U.S. film China got was Peter Rabbit 2. Oh, my God. And I think they're just reopening. And I think it's another kid's film. I can't remember what they're getting. Maybe Space Jam. I don't know. But it's like... Wow. They still haven't gotten Black Widow over there. Uh, They still haven't gotten, like, a lot of stuff. I don't know if they have Sonic yet. Weird. That was early 2020. Yeah, but for them, they were still quarantining at that time. And then oh, they came yeah. back faster than we did because they started faster than we did. Right. But then they just pumped out a lot of the Chinese releases that got backlogged. Mm. So Interesting. I, I don't know if Sonic ever came out in China. I feel like the I Chinese would. audience would love Sonic. I mean, I don't know anything about the Chinese audience demographic, but sure. Well, they love the Fast and the Furious movies and Sonic's fast and furious. He's like, the, he's like fast and kind. He is. It's but the inverse. But, um, what's his name? Dr. Robotnik, Jim Carrey, he's furious. Oh, so it's Fast and Furious. Yes. Sonic's Fast, Robotnik's Furious. And like the movie's it. all about family. I like it. With a pretzel lady and true. Donut Lord. This is true. What if they just hold on to the original Sonic release uh, in China and they just drop it like with Sonic 2 and it's just Whoa. like a double feature release? That'd be insane. One and two. I was just learning about sonic video game releases actually and apparently sonic 3 is like reportedly like the first idea of like downloadable content hmm. even though like they, they released like the first half of the game and then they like in april and then they waited till october and they released the second half of the game sonic and knuckles and you had to like plug your sonic 3 cartridge into the sonic and knuckles cartridge and oh, then put wow. it into your sega That's and wild. then you got to play the full game otherwise you just had the first half or the second half how interesting. I always thought it would be a cool marketing stunt to, like, release a movie that was, like, the first of a two-part movie, but, like, without people knowing that. 
and then like have it end on a cliffhanger or whatever and they'd be like whatever blah 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 2 comes out next week and they literally oh. like, have had the sequel ready already but nobody knew there was going to be a sequel and then all of a sudden it's just ready to drop like the following or whatever maybe a week is too short maybe a month later well i don't know I was, it's kind of like the infinity war endgame thing but that was a year i, was I feel reading, like what about like um, a smaller window i was reading about the fear street trilogy from netflix yeah and they did week a it week was a week apart, apart but originally they were supposed to go to theaters oh and it was supposed to be like you said like a month apart for each one huh that'd be cool but i feel like it worked better on netflix because people could it just definitely works it better on netflix especially because netflix is already even with their series has experimented with the like week we drop release. out like a new episode every week which, like, when is Netflix just going to become cable? That's a different co- topic of conversation. We're a but... movie trailer <laughs> podcast. I do think it would be a cool, like, viral marketing technique to just drop a movie that needs a sequel and then just already have the sequel, like, ready to go. They kind of did It'd that with it, but we had to still wait a year. You still have to wait a year. It's too long. Uh-huh. I, wanna, I think it would be so dope for it to be, like, literally just the following month. Like, as soon as the next one's out of theaters. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I think have the sequel ready. it reminds me of, like, uh, Back to the Future Part 2. Like, at the end of Back to the Future Part 2, like, there is a trailer for Back to the Future Part 3, and, like, no one even knew they were making Part 3. That's cool. I like that. That's pretty But, like, the movie still didn't come out for another year. Or it's like, at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger, there's a trailer for the Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the Avengers came out next year. Right. So. Well, because they often, like, studios often work multiple projects in advance. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, when it was was out, they knew they were doing it, too. Yeah, but, but a lot of people didn't know that. Like, yes, that was the reveal. Yeah. So, yeah. They've, like, done parts of it. Like, the reveal is there is a sequel. Or the reveal is... This is only half the story. Next. But I feel like to have it ready and then drop it... I don't know. I that, think it'd be cool. That would be if cool. If I was running a movie studio... Somebody give this man a studio. Because what are you... Like, you've already spent the budget. You've already produced the second movie. Like, you're committed to the money part. It's not like you have to wait to see how the first one does and then you're, like, not going to put the second one out. You know that's what I mean? That's true. But maybe... Sometimes that's the case for sequels, but a lot of times with these bigger uh-huh. franchises, it's not. Maybe it's like they're afraid of cutting the legs off of, like, uh, the original film. It's like, if we put the second one out a month later, the first one could have ran for, like three more months but don't you think like if word spreads about the viral release and it's like yeah they drop it and all of a sudden there's a sequel and it's coming out next week people would rush to see both the first and you know one's gonna just go see the sequel so you would be like increasing the incentive for people to go see the first one in theaters instead of like oh i'll wait till it comes out on dvd because now there's a reason to go like you have to catch the first one in theaters if you want to watch the second one in theaters that's true i don't know i think it's a big brain move but hmm who knows? The fact that they haven't done it before makes me feel like there must be reasons why. But I'm just saying, if I was in charge, I would do it. It's just because they're scared, Tyler. You're they're fearless. Scared. They have no creativity in the <laughs> film industry. That's a bold statement, wow. but I'm sticking with it. Studio heads, you have no good film ideas. ideas. <laughs> well, I think the producers of films... I mean, that's even another conversation because so much stuff is driven by already existing IP and franchise films. But there's a lot of creativity within the world of film, but like studios in terms of like marketing, we've been doing the same things forever. Trailers, posters. I mean, without trailers, we wouldn't have this job, this podcast. This job, yes. I make so much money from this job. I think, you know, (laughs) what has been the latest advent in Uh, movie marketing? Instagram ads? TikTok ads? 
Uh, it's just Instagram. Ads, I think you've got to do a viral marketing. The Coney 2012 of film releases. They kind of did that with Cloverfield. Like, they didn't tell you what the movie was. They just, yeah, but like... That was like 2009, though. Who? That was like, who a, that? what, 11 it's years gotta ago? It's got to be more viral. I don't know. I think this is also part of it. Maybe it's just because of social media and like the online information era. I feel like too much of movies is like public knowledge before it comes out now. Oh, so like much. Some studios do a good job of keeping some things under wraps, but like already, as we're going to talk about with our first movie on the docket for today, which I promise we'll get into, we've been recording for 10 minutes now. This is ridiculous. But this is the like, content they they've come here already for. like been like, oh, Ben Kingsley confirms his return in, to the MCU in Shang-Chi. And ben it's Kingsley's like, in that? Yes. I had no and clue. It's like, it literally was the first article that popped up when I just Googled Shang-Chi to get the release date. And I was like, no one needed to know that before we went and saw the movie. It could have just been a thing you had to experience well, when you go see the movie. I just think film journalism, like, it's like everyone in the interviews, you know, those, like, stupid interviews that are in, like, the black studios and they have the movie poster. Yes, yes. And Tom Holland's trying not to like spoil the, the Spider-Man junkets. movie or whatever. They're all about, what could you tell us about the movie? And then they, like, weasel out some spoilery thing. And it's like, just don't. I don't know. I don't but know. But then we're taking the away all the interviewers' jobs away. I think you could still interview a person about what it was like to produce and prepare for a role in a film without trying to get information about like the, plot. the specific plots and like who appears surprises okay. and elements of the movie. Just asking like, hey, like Simu Liu, you've never been in a superhero movie before. What was it like to prepare to play for a superhero? And like ask the like larger like societal questions mm-hmm. of like. What's the importance of representation of Asian Americans in superhero movies? And not like, hey, does Ben Kingsley come back? Like, who <laughs> fucking cares? I don't know. I mean, I think it's cool that Ben Kingsley's coming back. But why did I need to know that before I went and saw the movie? Hmm. That's a good point. Do you think but anyone's think... mind is changed? Do you think anybody that wasn't going to go see Shang-Chi is now like, Ben Kingsley's back? I'm in. Honestly, I don't know because there's been so much backlash against Shang-Chi, but that's like fueled but by anti-racist, that, like racism. And do state. you think the Ben Kingsley thing like makes it makes up for that? Like does it no, change any racist Racists are still racist. You're right. And do you want to change the racists' minds? Well, yes. I don't want them to be racist anymore. Well, but do you want them to change their mind <laughs> just about seeing Shang-Chi? Like, because there's a white guy I still guy don't in like Asians, but I'll... Sit and I'll sit through it for Ben Kingsley. I love Ben Kingsley. Like, really? <laughs> That's true. But I think another part of that is mainly because of like the pandemic. Like Shang Chi would have come out like over a year ago. So I think they they're trying to, to like pumping, pumping information, information and hyping I don't know, the movie. But I feel up. like even before the pandemic, there was so much like that. And I know like there's always going to be spoiler subcultures. Like there are mm-hmm. like entire subreddits and like discussion groups that are devoted to like uncovering Marvel spoilers. For, like, the next franchise movie. Yeah. And that's fine, like, if it's, like, a more closed group. But I don't understand why, like, major media platforms are, like, finding out about these things and then plugging them into headlines and stuff like that. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't it's think... It's a clickbait appropriate culture. media... I'm totally doing a Trump pose right now. I just... <laughs> I don't think it's appropriate media coverage of these particular... Films. Films. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I felt like that was a very Trump-esque rant, but I feel like it was worthwhile. Yes. Honestly. I don't blame anybody. Like, the journalists. I know no. they're just doing their job. And those uh, articles get whatever. clicks, and that's why they it do it. It is what it is. I'm just saying, me as a person would prefer that not to happen. <laughs> All right. Tyler's going to overhaul Hollywood. 
Anyway, on today's episode, <laughs> we're going to be discussing the trailers for a few very exciting releases, only one of which is like a franchise film. So much other original. Wow. Well, I guess, does an adaptation of a musical count as original IP? No. So, two of the four are original IP. Well, one of them is based on a true story. So, was the original story the original IP? And then this no, is. No, I an feel like an adaptation. adaptation of a true story counts as original. What about an adaptation? Because you're taking a story and you're creating it into an artwork. But okay. if it's like an, a book into a movie or a play into a movie, that's an adaptation of like another piece of art, not like a story that exists. Okay, so what about like if it's a like a true story that was written down in a book and then they adapted the book into a movie? Like The Glass Castle? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It's a tough one. Gray it's a tough area. One. Graria. Graria. Like, The Green Knight, I think, is an original film, but it's based on this, like, 13th century... Poem. Poem. I don't know. It's, and knows? it's also, like, got the King Arthur lore connected to it. But it does feel like this is, like, there's some good original content in here. We're not just talking about, like, a well, bunch of Honestly, Star even Wars if you don't think... Or Disney remakes. Even if you don't think it's, like, original IP, like, the content of these films are, like, fresh ideas in Hollywood. Yes, exactly. Thank you for... Clarifying. And if thought. you want to know what those movies are, they Anyways, are. <laughs> the first one is not that. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Which is cool because it's like the first introductory movie of a new character that we haven't seen before. But it does exist in the larger Marvel universe. So it's mm-hmm. part of the franchise. But I would say it's like the first of a series or yeah. whatever about like, this character. The first like Doctor Strange or Thor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, then we have The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Blue Bayou, and Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. So, before we jump into discussing those movies, Ryan, you have seen some of the movies that we previously previewed. In fact, I think just on the last episode. So, we do need to know, what'd you see, what'd you think? All right. Ryan's Review Roundup. Ryan's Review Roundup. I've been told there's no music, so we're just gonna cut straight to the chase. I saw The Suicide Squad. Uh, it was really fun. Lots of uh, James Gunn humor and heart. Lots of fun gore. Um, even a couple penises. If you like that kind of stuff... It's still streaming on HBO Max. It's also still in the theaters, and it's not doing well. So go spend your money and tell Warner Brothers this is the kind of movie we want to see. Uh, next, I saw Jungle Cruise, which is fine. It's like a, it's like very mummy esque, um, and it's a fun afternoon. But it's like, it's one of those movies where you see it and you go, "Oh, that was fun," but I'll probably like forget most of it in like the next year and then I'll have rewatch it and I'll go, Oh, this is a fun experience. And then the cycle keeps happening. Uh, I also saw the green Knight, which is a very interesting film. I think it's shot really well and the performances are really well. And I think it's a film that you have to sit and think with. Um, I don't think it's a film for everybody, but if that sounds like your cup of tea, I think you'll really enjoy it. And then I also saw free guy, which is a lot of fun. I think anyone can go into it. Like if you've seen the trailer, it's exactly what you're going to get. If you want that, you're going to have a fun time with Ryan Reynolds and some like video game humor. It's a lot of fun for the whole family. Um, nice. Yeah. Tyler, you saw a couple of these films. What yeah, did you think? I saw the green Knight. The green Knight is amazing and like probably close to a perfect movie, but I just really like the type of movies where you have to like sit and think about them and talk about them to get like it's full worth out of it. What I loved about The Green Knight is that it doesn't spend the time, like, what I think a common sin of classic blockbusters today is, is, like, spending a lot of time in, like, with expository dialogue and, like, feeding the audience exactly what they need to know for them to understand where the story's going. 
and the Green Knight leverages its medium as a film and uses a lot of visual expedition and storytelling with only what's what you see on screen and less like dialogue or narration or whatever to like tell you what's happening in the movie. You have to sort of infer based on what you see and the expressions of the performances of the actors sort of what their interior monologue is and what their motivations are and what um, the arc of the story and the narrative is is trying to do. So I really, really like that a lot. Um, the last, like, ten minutes of The Green Knight is probably, like, oh. one of my favorite final acts of any movie ever. It's mm. so freaking good. If you're bored throughout, like, The Green Knight, just stick it out. The The ending of it makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, and it makes it make sense. Like, it completes it in a cycle. And I'm not. it's not necessarily, like, a slow burn, like The Shining... Uh, although maybe you could characterize it I would, I would like say that. it's a slow burn. But it's more of like, it's just meticulous in setting up where the story needs to go to deliver that final act kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But nothing is over-sensationalized. A lot of it is just very, like, deftly well-done cinematography and performances. It's really great all around. Um, the more I sit with it, the more I think I like it and appreciate it. Uh, Jungle Cruise, on the other hand, direct inverse. It was fun to watch, but now that I think about it, I'm like, there is like such an unnecessary twist that I thought didn't add anything of value to the film other than just like being a twist. And then it's like they try to do it this weird like, it's more like PG-13 action and fighting, but then like every like villain or like nemesis or most of them in the movie is like grossly overdone cgi that feels like you're watching any sort of random like spy kids-esque kids film where you're just like what is the balance here like are you trying to do a more adult adventure film or are you trying to do like a very childish like near animated cgi like romp the tone is not consistent i guess is what i'll say (laughs) but it's you know i like uh, Dwayne Johnson and, uh, and Emily Blunt. Blunt's chemistry. I think they have a fun time on screen together. It seems like they had fun on set. I'm glad they had a fun time working together. I feel mm-hmm. like they could be like a Hollywood like BFF duo that I would like appreciate. But DJ's already got his BFF with Kevin, Kevin Hart. Hart? Uh, I feel like I'd take DJ and Emily Blunt over DJ and Kevin Hart. I mean, day. I would too, but that's because I'm not the biggest fan of Kevin Hart. Exactly. But like, how could I break up that friendship? I don't, they can be friends, but I'm, I mean, in terms of like them doing projects together. Oh, okay. I feel like I like fun. Kevin Hart and uh, DJ in the Jumanji movies. They're good together there. Jumanji's good, but also, like, that's mediated by Jack Black also being there. That's true. D- DJ and Kevin Hart. I liked Central Intelligence. I haven't seen that one. That's good. Uh, there's an extended Kevin Hart cameo in a Hobbs and Shaw, oh my and gosh. I do not appreciate it. Um, no thanks. But he's there. Anyway, so that was uh, Ryan's review roundup, also Tyler's review roundup. So thank you, yippee yippee yeehaw. I like how we market this as like, Ryan provides his quick thoughts on the movies that he's seen. And also if Tyler's seen them, he goes into depth about what he likes or didn't like about them. Well, yeah, because I uh, have been seeing more movies than you recently and more new releases. And the ones you do see, then you can give a more in-depth thought on I have strong opinions. Yes. I've Anybody been... that knows me knows this about me. It's true. Uh, speaking of strong opinions, Tyler, it's time for our opening question. And today's opening question is, what was your favorite movie or film of this last summer? The summer's coming to an end. Summer blockbuster se- season. 
way lighter than a normal summer, but that's just that's to be expected. Pandemic living, exactly. Um, some really exciting and fun movies came out this summer. Some of them I still haven't had the chance to see. Mm-hmm. But I think based on what I just talked about, I kind of have to go with The Green Knight. Wow, it was such a such a good movie. I'm not saying it's like. I had the best time watching it or it was like the funnest movie I've seen. Like mm-hmm. there's definitely more exciting and thrilling movies, but in terms of like the quality of the film, like I would love to see the green Knight go on to like get a lot of like accolades and awards recognition. Cause I think the type of storytelling that it does is so nuanced and fresh, um, that it's worth getting a lot of recognition and acclaim for that. Nice. Um, my favorite film of the summer is one that we haven't even talked about on this podcast before. I just saw it recently. It's called Nine Days. Um, it was a Sundance film last year, but it's finally getting its theatrical release this summer. Um, and it's basically about like this uh, other... It's like a supernatural existence. Before people are born, they have like these candidates and they come and they basically are trying out to... like, Are they worthy of life? And Winston Duke is there, and he is basically the one who's going to choose who gets to go and be born on Earth. And it has great performances from Winston Duke, from uh, Benedict Wong, from Tony Hale, from Zazie Beats. They all do such a great job. I think the story is fresh and innovative and fun. And I think if it's playing in a theater near you, I think it's worth your time and you'll probably enjoy it. Wow. That's, that's a high review. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I think it's still playing... But last I checked, uh, it's like one showing a day in oh. La Jolla. Yeah. Um, it might be at like the landmark. Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, let's jump into the episode, shall we? Oh, I thought we already had. I mean, this is the episode. episode. I guess let's jump into the first trailer. Ah, the meat and potatoes. Episode. You know, what you come here for. Exactly. The preview and preview review. Or is this Everything the review? Everything this has been the review. No, because our name preview review is like it sounds like review, like we're reviewing stuff. Yes, but it's spelled like R E V U E, like a show. show. And so this is all part of the show. But now we have to go to the part of the show that that's talks about, about previews. The previews. Yeah, so this is the preview review part of preview review. But wait, the part before this as part of the review. But wait, wouldn't you say the part before this is the preview? It's a preview to the preview review. And now we're at the review of the previews. Perfect. Yep. Um, the first preview that we're reviewing is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, this film is being released on September 3rd and is directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, who's alumni of the university that both Ryan and I went to. Just shout out. Um, he's directed Short Term 12, The Glass Castle, and Just Mercy. Um, and this film stars Simu Liu, Aquafina, Benedict Wong, Michelle Yeoh, and Tony Leung. This is the latest installment in Phase 4 of yeah. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, we're being introduced to the hero of Shang-Chi, um, who is a descendant of the actual Mandarin, apparently. Yes. It is not the character that was in Iron Man 3, which was like a red herring. Like, it's going to be this comic book character, but it ends up being not him. Um, but now we're introduced to the real version of that character. Um, yes. Who is and Shang-Chi's father, and is a part of the Ten Rings. The Ten Rings are, I believe... Both an actual Ten Rings physical like jewelry, things, but also an organization of like assassins. I'm guessing yes, or well, like some sort of um, criminal organization. The Ten Rings honestly go all the way back. Like you can see Ten Rings 
paraphernalia in Iron Man 1, the first MCU film. Oh, wow. Like, the terrorists that capture Tony Stark are working for the Ten Rings. So, it's like a criminal organization, but I think it's tied to these mystical objects or whatever. Yes. I'm sure it's some sort of, like, Marvel explanation where it's like, they're mystical objects because they come from this other planet and derive their power from whatever Maybe. thing. You know, or how magic. Marvel does Sometimes their thing. Marvel just Sometimes says it's magic. Sometimes Marvel does mysticism, and it looks like there's a little bit of mysticism in this movie. Um, but I guess the whole sort of premise of this film is Shang Chi is you know raised by his father and his mother in this setting of this criminal organization, um, and he eventually finds his way, I think, just to the U.S. and is trying to live like a normal life outside of that. But then is is like for whatever reason brought back into the folds of this organization yes. and has to figure out. If he's going to, like, work under his father and sort of be a part of this criminal organization or try and escape that life um, mm-hmm. in whatever way possible. And it seems like he's trying to fight against his father through a lot of this movie. Especially since, like, he ha- he doesn't have fond memories of his father. It looks like he was abused as a child. Yeah. And he got out of that lifestyle and he tried to live his normal life. But now he has to come back and finish his father off yeah. or something. It seems like... His father sort of raised him under this very, like, authoritarian, militant, like, I'm going to train you up to be a strong warrior or whatever. And it seems like he has a different relationship with his mother who kind of more taught him to be, like, a good person. And he didn't want to be like his father as, like, a criminal and a violent person, so he, like, left that life. But now I think the sort of narrative arc we're going to see is, like, he has to be, like, in the trailer we have this line of, like, you are your mother but you're also your father and he has to marry like morality and the like goodness that his mother taught him with like being strong like his father raised him to be but being strong as a force for good and Mm -hmm. sort of have to use that against his father to avoid being caught up in this criminal organization or whatever yeah and uh you mentioned at the top that uh ben kingsley's coming back um that's interesting because ben kingsley was one version of the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. So, it... Okay, quick plot synopsis of the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. In Iron Man 3, Ben Kingsley plays a character called the Mandarin, but then it's revealed that Ben Kingsley's actually just a character named Trevor, who is a hired actor for Aldrich Killian, who's played by Guy Pearce, who who claims to be the real Mandarin, but he just has, like, fire powers and a dragon tattoo on his chest. Yeah. So a lot of people were upset at the disservice done to that character, the Mandarin, in Iron Man 3. I think Iron Man 3 is still a really good film. Um, I don't have much comic book lore and a, like love for the character of the Mandarin. And I understand why they went that way because I recently watched like a 90s Iron Man cartoon and the Mandarin is like a racist Asian caricature with like a Fu Manchu mustache. So good job for not making that part of mm-hmm. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Um, but now they're getting a second chance at bringing the Mandarin back and doing him like with some more respect. Um, I know that the Ten Rings in the comics and other things used to just be like physical rings you like wore on your hands, like on your fingers, and like they gave you magic powers or something. But in this one, it looks like they're more like armbands or bracelets. Yeah, they're large rings that you. That's like you fit five on each forearm mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think, honestly, I think they're doing that to try to like step away from like the last time we had magic jewelry it went on your hand with the infinity Infinity stones so now these rings go on your arm so see they're different (laughs) like and i think it isn't going to change much of the story um but i'm excited to see how 
Simu Liu brings his comedy from the show Kim's Convenience and mm-hmm. his stunt work to the action star of Shang-Chi. I'm excited to see how this fits into the larger Marvel universe. I've heard a lot of early reviewers saying that like this could potentially change the course of the MCU, and I'm really not really seeing how it can happen via the trailers, but I'm excited for it. Um, towards the end of this trailer, we do get a glimpse of the Abomination who was the villain from the Incredible Hulk movie from 2008 in a cage match against Wong from Doctor Strange. So that seems like nothing I would have ever expected to see in a Shang-Chi film, but I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm stoked. And I think this movie is so important in terms of, like I mentioned earlier, the Asian-American representation that it's bringing to the MCU, but also just in general superhero movies and films in the U.S. um, in general. Um... I think Simu Liu is a fantastic choice, and I think just seeing, like, the stuff that he is posting on social media, like, really believes in this film is, like, not just doing this because it's a job, but is doing it because he sees the importance behind the character and behind the film, um, and it's just a really exciting opportunity, I think, mm-hmm. for him, um, and for Dustin Daniel Cretton, who's directed a few, like, sort of smaller indie drama films and is in his, like, fourth film project directing a big, like, huge-budget yeah. MCU movie. It's awesome. Um, there was an interview with Destin Daniel Cretton at our homecoming that was virtual that I watched. Um, and it was interesting. He, like, was initially very hesitant. He told his agent, I never want to do a Marvel film. Like, if they offer it to me, please protect me. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And then he heard them announce that they're making a Shang-Chi film. And he goes, he calls his agent up and he goes, I want to do that. Please help me get that job. Yeah. So it's something he believes in and it's something he's really passionate about too. It's not like Marvel's just plucking some indie director like they've done in the past. And like I've heard stories like you deal with the characters and then don't worry about the fights or this any like the third act will take care of that with CGI and you don't have to do anything like that. Right. I think Destin is like going to be, you know, hands on with this and it looks like something that everyone involved in it is very passionate about. And that's exciting. Cool. Yeah, I think that's great. Also, I, apparently there's a dragon in the water. I love that. I'm which so is excited. fun. It kind of reminded me like of the Netflix Marvel movies where like he felt like was fighting a bunch of ninjas like on the streets. Yeah. Like, and that was well, cool. Well, I love I think it's going to be like a new kind of fighting style, like this more like martial arts mm-hmm. with this mist like Last time we saw that kind of fighting, I think, was, I guess, maybe Doctor Strange, but it was, like, white people doing it, so I mean, it's kind of weird. we saw but it in Iron Fist, but it was also a white a person. T- and that was a, yeah, television series. And it wasn't so, choreographed that well. Um, yeah, season two got better. <laughs> um, but I think it's really exciting. And I just think Marvel's been needing new energy, new faces introduced. So much of the most recent Marvel stuff that we've gotten has been reintroductions of characters we already knew mm-hmm. with like obviously uh infinity war and endgame and, and then even the black widow disney was, plus shows the disney plus shows have been you know characters we already know i mean they've been great expansions on those characters but no real fresh blood mm-hmm. i think even before before infinity war and endgame i think the last like original mm. hero content we got was spider-man no we got captain marvel Oh, Captain Marvel. Yeah, I guess that that would have been the last one too. But mm-hmm. Spider-Man's also like a character that we already knew when we got that movie. Yeah. So it's been kind of a while since we've got like really Plus, fresh. Captain Marvel was a prequel. Like it happened in the 90s. And it existed already with like Nick Fury and uh-huh. all the characters we already knew. Well, there's... And this is there's characters that we already know in this one too. But I feel like it's just going to be a new step in a new direction for Phase 4 mm-hmm. being like 
an well, actual reintroduction at, like, of a new superhero rather than like uh, Spider-Man uh, Far From Home was like technically the first film in Phase 4. Well, Black Widow was the first film in Phase 4. Right? But Spider-Man was the last Phase 3. Oh, it ended, it was technically like a Phase 3 It was three like epilogue. an epilogue, yeah. Eh. So Black Widow was the first Phase 4. I see it as like 4A, but sure. Sure. Well, Black Widow is like it's weird because it's the first film in Phase Four, but it takes place in the middle of Phase Three. Exactly, doesn't really make sense. So, like, this is so our this first is the step forward, <laughs> unless you count like WandaVision or Captain America, or and the yeah. Winter Soldier. Like, those are part of Phase Four too, but they're not movies. So, how weird? I don't know. I'm excited for it. I think it looks I'm fun. For it. I already have tickets. Um, <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we're going to talk about The Eyes of Tammy Faye. This is a Searchlight uh, production. Uh, it's coming out on September 17th. It's directed by Michael Showalter, who's recently directed um, The Lovebirds, as well as The Big Sick. Uh, this stars Jessica Chastain, Andrew Garfield, Cherry Jones, and Vincent D'Onofrio. Really? Um, and this is a peek into the televangelist world of the, what is this, like the 70s or 80s? Something like that. It's all about, like... It, maybe the 80s because it feels very greed like fueled greed is good wall yeah. street era so this is the story of tammy Fay um baker i think is her last name i think she has a different last name now um who's married to jim baker who was like one of the early uh televangelists in america like let's take uh the gospel and put it on tv um and talk to people about jesus through the television and also, oh, look, we can make a lot of money doing this. And mm-hmm. let's just ask for all these people from across the country to send us money and we'll get rich talking about God. Um, I think this looks like an incredible movie. Um, I think the unique way that it's using like the specific view of Tammy Faye to like comment on this relationship. Like you could have done this movie and just had it be like a more like neutral lens or whatever and just be like, this is a story of how these televangelists are a bunch of bad people, but by like positioning Tammy Faye as sort of the like protagonist or at least central character of the film, it's like pulling you into the moral ambiguity of like what they're doing. And like, there's not really a lot of ambiguity because they're like, I think literally convicted criminals and like bad people, but it's like centralizing her thought process and her motivations and seeing like how she was drawn into doing these like literally criminal activities um, just because she saw it as like an easy way for them to make money um, and how that devolved from a spirit of just wanting to, like, do stuff for Jesus or the church or whatever. Well, it also looks interesting, like, she is a participant in this, but she's not also, like, 100% a knowing, willing participant. So Yeah, and to what extent is it, like, a, like a coercion from her husband or, like, how the, their relationship was strained by what they're doing? Yeah, and it looks like she's asking questions about, like, is this the right thing to do? Like, and he's just kind of trying to be like silencing or like, that's not a question we ask, or that's not a thing we say to these kind of people in power. Like when something's brought up that she doesn't really agree with potentially, like someone brings up the idea of like the liberal agenda and she goes, I don't think faith is about politics. And then her husband Baker says, you don't say crap like that to him. He's like one of the most powerful people in the church. We don't never get anywhere. We just got to go with the flow. And she seems like she does for a while, but it seems like this movie is like her arc of going from like fresh, like fresh, fresh face to like corrupted to, uh, breaking free from that world. 
which I'm really excited about seeing that journey. Yeah, I think that is a big part of it. It also is, I think, touches on a lot of these different sociological movements or things that were happening in this era, like the rise of televangelism and, like, bringing church into people's homes, the rise of this, like, prosperity gospel, like, trying, like, literally having preachers trick people out of their own money for their own personal financial gain. Yeah, well, there's a line and, in this trailer that says, like, God wants us to be not poor or something like that. Yeah. So it's, like, justifying his own wealth and greed. Yeah. And the, like, politiza- politicization of faith as these people were initially just trying to go on TV to just preach what they, you know, about God. And all of a sudden, they're being rubbed in by the figures like Jerry Falwell, who are, like, saying, we need this type of stuff because we're fighting against these other political agendas or whatever. So it's not just about doing it for a church or for God, but it's about doing it because it advances this other agenda or this counter agenda to what they see as their political enemy of the time or whatever. Yeah. So it's super fascinating. It reminds me a lot of like the Mrs. America uh, Hulu Hulu series that came out. That was really great. Um, I think Jessica Chastain looks like this is an amazing performance from her. She's like barely recognizable. The makeup is very transformative. Like even though I knew it was her watching the trailer this time, like, when it said her name, I was like, oh, right, that's who that actress is. Like, I was still enveloped in the makeup and the performance just in the trailer. And she ages a lot at the character over the course of the film. And we see shots of her portraying this younger version of Tammy and the older version of Tammy. And she looks so great as all these different ages. <laughs> and I think it's, like, really done a great job. Andrew Garfield also looks really well, great in this film. And uh, just, like, from the clips I've seen, in his performance looks really captivating like he starts out and he's like a lovable guy that you can understand why people are drawn into watching him. right and then you see a kind of a darker underbelly but he's still like got that soft spokenness to him so it's like playing like menacing but like quiet at the same time right along with like an accent that he doesn't usually have which yeah, is impressive. super interesting uh like southern, southern like yeah high-pitched lovable goof like kind of like almost a a mr rogers feel yeah totally uh-huh Super interesting. Um, yeah, this looks great. I'm excited. I think this is a great project for Michael Showalter. Um, the Lovebirds didn't do so great, but I liked well, it a lot. It was a Netflix movie, so we don't know how well it did. Well, I just think because it was like they pushed it to Netflix, it just seemed like they weren't confident in it. The oh, studio wasn't. They put. I th- so it was like I don't know. It was the beginning of the pandemic too. So that's true. It could have been a lot of reasons. Also, I think it, it also like was a... like middling reviews. I don't think it like oh, that great. Acclaim. I liked it. But I liked it a lot. The Big Sick is great. It's it was wonderful. literally nominated for an Oscar. Um, and that was fantastic. I want Kumail Anjani to have a cameo in this yeah, <laughs> Tammy Faye like movie, th- even though he probably won't. But it seems like Michael Showalter likes working with him. Yeah. Um, but I think this is a cool project for him because like this dude that like helped bring us Wet Hot American Summer and did these like couple comedies that like both like Big Sick is definitely more heartfelt, but both these have good heartfelt movies. And this seems like quite a turn because it's not really a comedy, like heartfelt comedy. It's more of like a dark comedy or um, like, or almost more of like a, a drama, bombshell, you know? like borderline where it's like dramedy a little bit. Yeah. Or it seems like a more of a tone of like a vice or a, or almost like, um, what's that movie? The, oh, vice is. I thought you were talking about the news vice. I was thinking exactly like yeah, vice, the Dick Cheney, the Dick Cheney movie. Yeah. Sorry. That's why I got confused. Yeah. I thought you were talking about vice news and I was like, I don't no, understand no. where you're going with this. No, vice, <laughs> the Dick Cheney movie. That was great. Even though some people like to pretend like it's not. Um, 
or The Big Short, which more people agree is a great film. I think both are great, but The Big Short is definitely the crowd pleaser for yeah. some reason. I don't get it. Vice is better. Um, <laughs> I liked Vice a lot. But anyways, as of Timmy Faye, I think it looks wonderful, and I'm actually very, very excited for this movie. I think particularly my context as a person makes me intrigued in um, the sort of theme that this uh, film is approaching. Um, and I'm really excited to see what they do with it. So it, it's still a problem today that televangelists, particularly in the United States, make too much goddamn money. It's true. Well, yeah, that's the thing that they're talking about the trailer. Like, why is money such a thing that like these people that are preaching the gospel are so concerned with? Yeah. Um, I think if you're going to pursue a career where you're literally trying to prioritize talking about God... You don't also need to turn around and, like, literally reinvent a whole theology just to get people to send you more money so you can, like, buy nice cars and fly on mm-hmm. private planes and have yachts and shit. God loves you, so, but only if you send me 20k a month. It's pretty fucked up. Um, one of the things I hate the most about modern uh, evangelicalism in the United States. And I'm gonna use this game segment to call a few of these people out. Um, we're going to play the Televangelist Net Worth game. Whoa. I am going to read you the name. Getting of spicy here. A uh, popular televangelist or, you know, high prominent uh, Christian figure. In Someone the that States. makes a lot of money talking, talking about, about God. God. Okay. Yes, precisely. Not like celebrities that happen to be Christians, but like people that are celebrities because they're Christians yeah. or pastors. So not like, like a Chris whatever. Pratt, but more like a Jeremy Camp. Yes, precisely. Okay. Um,. And, Ryan, what you're going to try and do is you're going to try and guess their net worth. Oh. These are rounded up to the nearest, like, millionth whole dollar. Okay. So, you don't have to go into, like, the... The nitty-gritty. Other digits. Like, it's a round number. And they're all in the millions. All in the millions. That's already disgusting. Isn't that gross? I hate this already. (laughs) Um, And if you don't know who someone is, I'll try my best to describe them. Thank you. I don't really know all of them either. We'll do I, our best. I've seen all of them they're, before. They're recognizable. In pictures, yes. Okay. Maybe I'll pull up a Google image search for you just so Beautiful. you can get Beautiful. We're not going to feature these on the Instagram. You're going to have to Google them yourself. I'm sorry. We're not putting these people on our Instagram. Okay. Ryan, the first televangelist I want you to guess their net worth is a common one. Everyone knows him. Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. This is that fucker in Houston that didn't open his church for people that were trying to, you know, yeah, flee the damage from hurricanes and floods and shit. Mm-hmm. This man seems so skeevy. You look at him and you he just... He just looks like a bad person. You look at him and, like, he looks grimy. Like, if you tried to, like, hug him, he'd slip out like you... Like, one of those squishy, like, hand toys. Yeah. Um... But uh, he probably got a lot of money. He looks like he could be, like, a used car salesman or, like, one of those, like, predatory injury lawyers on the billboards. On the billboards. I love those guys. I love their billboards, at least. They're fun. But Joel Osteen, I don't love this man. Um, He's written a lot of books. He has TV shows. So I feel like he's got a lot of money. A lot of these people's money, like, they start off making money by just having people, like, send in their tithe or offering or whatever to their... Ministry Foundation, which is just a private company that they set up so they can be like a non-profit organization and not get taxed, but then people just send them money and they just get yeah that money okay. into their bank accounts. 
Um, but then they also will like do television appearances and public speaking deals and books that make them a lot of money as well. Yeah. I'm going to say Joel Osteen probably, oh, I have no baseline to know how much these people are paid. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I have to give you some help. I feel like what we should do is you should tell me if you think his net worth is over or under, um, let's go 75 million. Okay, good. Cause and I if was... they're over, uh-huh. you get a point for whether you're over or under 75 million. Okay. Then if you can get within a $5 million range of their actual net worth, you'll get another point. Okay. That's really helpful because I was thinking somewhere in the hundred millions for Joe Osteen. So he, I'm gonna guess he's over seventy five million. He's under seventy five really? million, actually. Yes. Wow, I'm impressed. Um, okay, then I'm gonna have to rethink this whole game. I mean, not really. I'm still not impressed. It's still a lot of money, but sure. That's true. Well, I'm impressed that I was wrong. Million. I was impressed at my failure. Um, <laughs> so now under seventy five million, try and get within a five million dollar range. Okay, of I'm what gonna you say his actual net worth is uh fifty five to sixty million. Ooh, that's a really good guess. His actual net worth is around forty million. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I mean. Not the worst. No. But it's definitely still bad. Yeah. I mean, so many more people could do much more with that money than a televangelist. I just think, like, there are very talented and, like, hardworking people in other fields that don't have nearly this amount of money. And I don't know why he does. Because Jesus wants him to. Sure. Maybe. <laughs> we, we don't know that until we know that. Okay. You know. Who's the next uh, All right. scheme? The next one I'm going to give you is Pat Robertson. Oh, I've heard that name. You know this guy. Let's see. Here, he, Tyler is currently Googling There's also him. probably a lot of people named Pat Robertson of the world. All right. Pat Robertson Pastor. Let's Google search. It's this guy. Image is coming up. Oh, I know this, this. The 700 Club dude. Is that him? Yeah, that's I the set know. of the 700 Club. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You've um, seen this dude. So his TV show is like on every night, but it's also like a later night programming. So are people still watching it? I wonder. Um, but he looks Pat old, Robinson so he's probably accumulated gross, a lot also of money. Sometimes I've seen clips of him like saying things that are like accidentally based on the Seven Hundred Club. Really? Oh, like, is, like one of those he'll, like, like randomly have an opinion that's like that's not a bad take. But also, in general, he's not probably a good person either. He looks like your grandpa, but like if your grandpa was possessed. Yes. Um, <laughs> Do you think his net worth is over or under $75 million? Well, he's in the 700 club, so he's got to be over 75 He's probably closer to $700 million. <laughs> he, he, his net worth is over $75 million. Isn't that gross? Well, I think it's because his yeah. show's been on so long. It's accumulated. Right. And then, um, yeah, sure. So, I think he's also... A university president, so that's oh, okay. a pretty that's a pretty good salary. Um, so I'm gonna guess he's over seventy five million. So I'm gonna say it's between one twenty and one twenty five million. Uh, pretty close, hundred million. Okay, so I knew it was close to the hundred mark. Yeah, I just I I expect that these guys have more wealth than they do, or maybe maybe I need to rethink my strategy here. But still, it's an exorbitant amount. Of, wealth and it's kind of disgusting <laughs> yeah this is gross okay the next one i'm going to give you is good old paula white paula you've seen white. her she was like the 
personal oh she's young advisor to oh Donald Trump. this man i know him like her husband no but is this that... is the one this one where she told and she did that fake ass oh thing where yes she spoke in tongues that was like not true yeah um i hate her Look um... at her. <laughs> gross okay if she's friends with trump she's got to make some money and she's probably on his payroll during his presidency so i'm gonna say over 75 she's under 75 that makes sense too because she's younger and she's She's a woman and also if she's like it like with trump she'll like act like she's got a lot of money but then like not really that's true because rudy's on cameo because he needs the money money. (laughs) maybe she's on cameo too um okay so she's under 75 dollars a video all speaking tongues on cameo for you (laughs) Thank you, Paula. Okay, I'm gonna guess. Um, fifteen to twenty million. Ooh, close! It is on the lower end. It's only around five million. That's still a lot of so money. So not the worst, but also for what you do, it's like, eh, you're both like a pastor and also like part of the well, a former part of the presidency, like the scam artist presidency, ad- ad- like advising team. <laughs> So, in either case, you're, like, supposed to be a public servant, so you probably shouldn't have as much money. Exactly. Okay. Oh, well. All right. Wow, I'm doing horrible. Next but guy I'm going to get... Well, these, this, is, this is a challenging game. This is less is. about you getting points and more about us shitting on rich pastors. Okay. I feel so better about it now. That's what it's for. Um, the next guy is Jesse Duplantis. Oh, I think I, I've heard this name before. You totally know who this guy is once you see his face. Oh, this, this man. I love worst. how when you typed in Jesse Duplantis, the first thing the auto-filled was house. So that makes you think he has a really impressive house. Yeah. <laughs> he's also... This is definitely one of the gross, like, super legit, like, prosperity gospel yeah. people where he's like, God only loves you if you give me money, which is, like, mm-hmm. nasty. Okay. So he's over 75. He's actually under really? 75 million. I always think the older people have more because they've been accumulating wealth. Okay, so he's under seventy-five million. I don't think he's that much under. I'm gonna say fifty to fifty-five million. Correct, fifty <gasps> million it. dollars. Wow, Woo. you made it. That was a great guess. Good job. Also, fuck this guy. One minute, I want to see his house. Oh, this is a fucking mansion, dude. It looks like a plantation house. It probably is. It's a New Orleans mansion. That looks gross. Jesus wouldn't be riding a donkey. Televangelist says God told him he needs 50 more. Oh, yes. That's right. This is what this guy was famous for. Was because he was getting criticized for buying this $54 million private plane. And he said, I need it to get around the world and preach the gospel. Jesus wouldn't be riding a donkey in today's world to spread the gospel. Would I don't think he'd be riding a $54 million jet I either. I fucking don't think so. If anything, but, Jesus is flying economy. Wow. Coach even. Maybe he could get a free upgrade to Economy Plus. I hate it. I hate it here. Okay. Uh, do I have any more? Yes, you have two more. Oh okay, the next God. one I'm going to give you is good old Rick Warren. You know this guy. Oh, I read this dude's book and yep, it was a required reading. And he also is, you know, the saddleback. He looks oh. like Ted Cruz in this photo. He does look like Ted Cruz in that photo. I mean, I don't think he's like the worst person ever, but he's not a good person either. Yeah, I had to read that Purpose Driven Life for like kinesiology 101 that's what you get for going to a christian university ryan um but is that him with obama yeah he, he led the 
uh, what's it called? What's the prayer called at like a fancy event? Invocation. Uh, sure. Yeah. At a. Uh, and that's him with Pope Francis. He knows yeah. famous people. So he's like, li- he's like, you know, not terrible, but he also like makes a lot of money just by pastoring a church in Orange County. Yeah. Apparently, I learned this on the podcast I was telling you about earlier. He like literally did like legit sociological demographic research on different cities in America to figure out where the best place would be for him to plant this church, Saddleback Church, which is now this like giant mega church with multiple locations in Orange oh. County. And he like only settled on Orange County after doing all this like demographic research and showing that like this is where the most community was growing. Like it was the fastest growing county okay. in the country or whatever. In terms of this demographic, uh-huh. that would like likely attend and give to a church. Interesting. Isn't that so wild? it's like it's like a very like... thoughtful business-driven, uh-huh. like goal-oriented approach to ministry versus like I'm just gonna like be a pastor of a church and see who yeah. shows up because they're part of our community or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say he's under seventy-five million. He is under seventy-five million. Yeah, he seems like he's not hoarding wealth, even though he still probably has a butt ton of money. Yeah, it's um, still a lot. I'm gonna say he's got. 15 to 20 mil. That's close. It's 25 million. Ah, oh, so close. If you were in a 10 million range, you would have gotten a point, but oh well. That's still a lot. This dude, I don't know, Rick. I don't know a lot about you. Mm. You, you. You're making too much money for what you're doing, though. I'm definitely critical, but I don't think... 67 years old. I hate you. Nah. The Purpose Driven Life wasn't, like, the worst book I've ever read, so... There's that. All right. Who's my next uh, All right, you evangelist have only to take one down? More to go. And this is Kenneth Copeland. You oh, I've heard guy. that name this too. Literally crazy. What What can you tell me about Kenneth Copeland? Oh, he looks terrifying. It's this. Oh, that I know that guy. Crazy ass shit. His clips are always on Twitter. Because yeah, I've seen like psychotic. because we're laughing at this fool. Yeah, people give this guy he money. He looks like a demon. I hate it. Okay, uh, like, I hope. How do you see this face and be like, "This is a guy I trust"? <gasps> oh, this is the dude who's freaking laughing at. Yeah. Oh, the laughing man. I yeah. don't like him. Okay, He's uh, psychotic. Under seventy-five, please. Way over. No. I was just hopeful. Okay. Uh. Over 75. I'm going to go 175 to 180. Ryan, would you believe me if I told you that Kenneth Copeland has the highest net worth of anybody we've talked about today? Yes. But would I'm afraid. Would you believe me if I told you that that net worth was around $400 million? Holy shit. No <laughs> this way. This dude is literally... I don't know how people look at like... I don't know. Conservative Christians tend to look at like left-leaning individuals and be like, they're possessed by the devil because they believe these things. When I see this dude's face and what he wears and the way he acts and that he has this much money in his bank account, this dude's got to have a deal with the devil. Like if there's anybody in the world I'm convinced has entered into a formal (laughs) agreement with Satan himself, it's Kenneth Copeland. Look at him. Ew. I mean, disgusting. And he makes this much money based on that? Stop it. I can't do it. Go away. I can't have it. Ew. Okay. 
Well, thank you for taking me down the worst road I've ever been down in my it's life, It's terrible, Tyler. and they're all the worst. If you're listening to this, go read Matthew 19.24. Okay. <laughs> Next. Trailer on the docket. We're just going back into things. That was our little detour <laughs> into bashing evangelism. But we're back, doing what we do best. Bread and butter style, preview, review. This movie's called Blue Bayou. Speaking of bread and butter, yeah, this movie also starts with two Bs. Oh, bread, butter, blue Blue bayou. Bayou. Let's go. It comes out (laughs) September 17th. Uh, It's directed by Justin Sean, who's done a couple films in the past, but this is like his biggest film to date. You might know him from starring, not starring, appearing in the movie Twilight. Yeah, he's had a lot of minor roles. I've been watching The O.C. recently, and he popped up in The O.C. Wow. He was uh, playing a Korean pop star, so he had no dialogue. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Justin Chan, he's also wrote and uh, directed, and he's starring in this film. Uh, Alicia Vikander also appears with Mark O'Brien, Lynn DeFam, and Von D. Curtis Hall. Um, This is the story of the main character, played by Justin Chan, has grown up in the United States, but he's originally from Korea. Uh, he came as a child and was adopted, but he ran into some trouble with the law, and now ICE is trying to deport him, and he has to figure out how he's going to like support his family while also not being deported, and that leads to him pursuing a life of crime to be able to pay for a lawyer to defend him so he doesn't have to go back to Korea where he's never actually lived. And it looks very interesting, uh, a deep, like, interesting insight into the life of people that are technically immigrants, but have lived their whole lives here and that could have it all taken away yeah, just because of one. Yeah, definitely a commentary on, like, tr- literal, like, transplants into the U.S. that are, like, technically born in other countries, but moved here when they were, like, very young um, and are basically American by being raised in the U.S., Particularly in the case of this movie, like, literally being raised by an American family, like, not even an immigrant family, mm-hmm. um, because he was just adopted. Um, and this and film... how racist systems and people are still at fault for treating them differently, um, just based on their appearance, like, exclusively. And it sort of plays on the whole, like, because one of the things that appears in the trailer is, like, the whole, where are you from? Mm-hmm. Oh, I grew up outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. No, but like, where are you really from? Like, like that where whole were you sort born? of premise. Yeah. Where it's like, why does that matter? I'm. I literally told you, I'm. I grew up in Louisiana. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm from the U.S. I'm an American. Yeah. And it's just that's part of the reason why it's called Blue Bayou is because it takes place in the South in Louisiana, and he grew up. He even has like put on an accent for this film, like a Southern accent. So like, even more ingraining him in the American culture. And one of the lines in the film, Alicia Vikander delivers in the trailer is like. Look at him, listen to him, he's American. Yeah. Like, just because he was born in Korea and he spent, like, his first two or three years there doesn't make him a Korean, but legally it does. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, I am in love, based on the trailer, with how this movie is shot. Um, I think it's really cool. It's got these really sort of, like, tighter camera angles, and it looks almost like it's shot on, like, not necessarily like an iPhone, but, like, some sort of, like, smaller handheld camera mm-hmm. not like these big sweeping like stationary panoramic uh shots but like more of this like tighter intimate type of shoot where it's like you feel like the camera's very dynamic in the room with the characters and things yes. like that it feels intimate. And following the action of a scene mm-hmm. rather than like doing these like larger like camera a camera b type of like exactly shots yeah um it looks interesting i'm intrigued to see 
what Justin Chan brings to this. I don't know his background. I don't know if this is like a semi-autobiographical story or not, or if maybe it's a story of someone that he knew, but uh, it's coming from his voice, which I think is important. It also leans into our, our, we were talking about with representation, even in these smaller indie films, like these are stories that aren't being told, but yeah, now absolutely. they are. Yeah, and I think having him both like write, direct, and star in this movie really helps it, like, you know that this is exactly the story that he's meaning to tell and what he feels like he needs to tell and mm-hmm. wants the audience to see. You don't feel like there's interference between like the performance being different from what's being written versus who's directing. Like it's a very, I think unified vision. Um, yes. And I think that's coming across just because when you watch this trailer, it looks very distinct and very unique and very different from other types of stories and other types of movies that we've seen before. If I were to like, maybe try and draw us a parallel. I would say it's similar to like some of the smaller A24 films like the Florida project or something like that, mm. where it's a very like more intimate, intimate direct uh-huh. story. Not, a, not like it's about these larger themes, but it doesn't like take place on a grander scale. It's just very yeah. much about like, this is about the lives and the happenings and like these specific people's lives for the specific period of time. Exactly. Less of this more like sweeping drama that carries over a long period of time or whatever it might be. But yeah. I'm really excited for it. I think the trailer is, like, in such a short amount of time, completely sold me on so many of the performances and the cinematography and the story. Um, and I'm, I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, I'm really interested. I'm looking forward to this one. Me too. All right. The last trailer for today's episode, Ryan. Mm, already? This is an interesting one. Lots of conversation on social media, at least on my Twitter feed, about this one. Mm-hmm. This is the trailer for Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, the musical. The musical, Broadway musical turned movie so quickly. Why is there already a Dear Evan Hansen movie and we've been like delaying the Wicked movie for several years? Well, Wicked's been like in development hell for some reason. I don't understand. Well, they keep pushing it back because they were like, we want to do In the Heights before we do Wicked. In the Heights was good though. Oh, we want to do the new West Side Story Spielberg one before we do Wicked. Oh, we want to do, but why Dear Evan Hansen? Dear Evan Hansen just got, like, hype as a Broadway musical. Like, what, less than ten years ago? And now Wicked, like, I feel like the peak for Wicked has come and gone. The peak for Wicked was, like, 2009. But, like, why didn't they get a movie right after they were popular? I don't, I don't know. know. Whatever. Popular, nice pun. Thank I like you, it. You, you. I like it. Um, anyways, Dear Evan Hansen comes out in, on September 24th. I feel like they, like, just announced it and it's already coming out. So it's, it's coming soon. out on September 24th. That feels like a Christmas movie, honestly. Um, it's directed by Stephen Chbosky, who wrote and directed The Perks of Being a Wallflower, as well as the film Wonder. And he's also worked on a writer on a couple of other projects. Mm-hmm. Um, stars Ben Platt controversial uh caitlin deaver amanda stenberg julia moore and amy adams um i for one so i knew like the poster like the striped shirt and the cast Mm -hmm. and i knew like some of the song titles i guess but i never really knew the plot of the musical until the trailer for the movie came out i'm exactly the same way i know like some people that have really gotten into the music but I've, like, maybe heard one song or something. I haven't ever really delved into the soundtrack. No. Nope. But I know it's very popular with a lot of people. And based on sort of what I've seen, not from the poster, I guess, but from, like, the titles of the songs and just, like, the conversation around the musical, I definitely knew it was about, like, high school teenager era, like, teenagers dealing with, like, mental health issues. And I got the feeling that there was, like, themes about suicide and self-harm in the movie. 
And that's very similar to Chabowski's uh, film and book, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yeah. So it makes sense to bring him on yes. for this one. I did not know, however, that there's only, like, I guess partially, dear, like, Evan Hansen himself, the character, deals with, like, mental health issues, at least some sort of, like, anxiety, maybe. I didn't know that his character is not the one that deals with, like, self-harm and suicidal issues, and that's, like, a completely different character, and it, put, it positions him more as, like, being in this weird, like, sitcom tropey yeah. situation where he's writing a letter to himself based on an assignment that was given to him by his therapist. Another student, like, takes it from him and puts it in his pocket and then happens to, like, go and kill himself. And the parents find that letter in his pocket and assume that the student who just took their own life was really close friends with Evan Hansen, even though they weren't really friends. Mm-hmm. They and only then... have, like, minor interactions with each other. Yeah. And so he's in the situation where it's like, oh, they're getting so much hope and, like, you know, they're being consoled by the fact that they think I was his friend. I don't have the heart to tell them that I really didn't know this guy. And he gets in this, like, progressively more convoluted situation by, like, having to continue to pretend like he was this guy's friend. It feels very weird that, like, they're doing this earnestly and not as, like, a joke. It feels so sincere and earnest. (laughs) But it also, like, if you just say that, it sounds like the plot of, like, an It's Always Sunny episode. So ridiculous, right? I'm so confused about what this film is trying to go for. Like, I get, like, maybe it comes better together, like, as a whole piece, but the trailer is kind of confusing to me. And I think it's just, like, part of it is the general premise feels so ridiculous. Not to say that, like, the suicide or anything like that is, like, a funny thing to happen, but, like, it's sort of this absurdist, ridiculous situation that's, like, a little bit of, like, dark humor, but they're doing it in a way where you're supposed to, like, care really earnestly about this situation and it's like it's just a convoluted misunderstanding and i don't know it feels very weird that like then the song's playing and it's like all this really deep conversation about being found and feeling invisible when you don't have to be invisible anymore and, and it's you like, are seen i don't know how that the- those themes are tied into this like random like circumstance that you found yourself yeah. in just based on like not being honest i don't know I don't know, but I'm still intrigued. I want to see the film because it's been so popularized. Like it's got to like have more to it than what we're I seeing. I think what it is, is it's like one of those things kind of like greatest showman mm-hmm. where the music speaks to all these like really idealistic and like earnest themes that you want to believe in life and hold true across like in a variety of contexts, like wanting to be found and be seen and be heard is like true for a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. But when you apply it to specifically, like, this story that it's embedded in in the, in the musical or in the movie, it feels like that doesn't match up. Like, these themes in the music are too broad and too generic for, like, this weirdly, like, narrow plot. Yeah. It's, does that it's make just, sense? Yeah, well, it definitely does. Because even in the trailer, it says, like, from the writers of, like, La La Land and... The Greatest Showman, like both these people, like were screen or like songwriters, also worked on this film. And then as they do that, like the music swells and like more choral comes in, and it sounds more and more like a Greatest Showman type yeah. song. So, but it feels like it fits more in this film than it does in the Greatest Showman, just because it's not as anachronistic. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, but hopefully, like this film has a good message somewhere underlying underneath. I don't know. I still have hope for it, even though I think the like I'm like. Uh, kind of on the fence, kind of leaning towards, like, being pessimistic towards it, but I'm still somewhat optimistic towards yeah, it. Yeah, I think the earnest messaging is, like, good, and I'm sure, like, some people need to hear 
the um, the themes that they're trying to convey to the audience. I just don't know if it matches up with what the plot of the movie is wanting to present um, in terms of its like immediate plot. Yes. But overall, its effects and its ripples, I'm sure, are like positive and worthwhile. Yes. I guess. Um, the other weird thing about this is... Um, Ben Platt looks, like, way too fucking old to play a high schooler, yes. but they still cast, like, really young people to play the other high schoolers. It looks like a Pen15 situation where <laughs> well, they have, like, 30-year-old women, and that's a comedy device in Pen15, but in this you're supposed to just, like, accept it and move on. Mm -hmm. And Ben Platt's tried to, like, defend it being like, I workshopped this character, and I originated this character, and I, like, deserve the opportunity to bring him to the screen, and, like, I don't know if anybody else would do the role justice. But, like, at a certain point, it's like, come on, they're not gonna put... Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth in the Wicked movie. They're too fucking old now. Mm -hmm. You gotta trust well, other people to carry your role and, like, work with them and coach them to do the role well. But I just think it would matter so much more if they cast somebody that looked like they fit the situation rather than, like, having him walking around in, like, gross prosthetics to try and make him look younger. He looks like the fucking, like monster dude from the i think you should leave too that's like stuck in the suit in the mall <laughs> he reminds like his face kind of like reminds me of like i don't know if you've ever seen clips or anything but like of the warren Beatty film dick tracy oh yeah the villains in that film are like got horrible prosthetics on them to like make them look like they're like saturday morning comic strip villains yeah and it kind of like reminded me of that a little bit. And I was kind of freaked it out. It also reminded me of the like Nathan for You episode where he like yes. becomes the, the other chilling guy man? through prosthetic. Yes. No, 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 where he like the hero episode where like oh where he has takes to go like, on the wire life okay. and he like becomes him with prosthetics yes. and then like try gets him to like live a life, but it's really Nathan doing all this stuff. So it's like it looks it's like weird. It could be him. But it also looks like they put stuff on him to like make him look younger. But it's just drawing more attention to the fact working. that he's like a tw maybe he was twenty five or twenty six when they filmed this. He's twenty seven now, playing like a is sixteen or seven. Twenty seven now. Yeah, he's only twenty seven. I feel like he looks like he's in his thirties. He looks a lot older, mm -hmm. and like I just think he's not. I think there are other young like uh, Jordan Fisher is playing Evan Hansen right now on Broadway. I don't know how old Jordan Fisher is in real life, but he looks closer to high school age when you see him in pictures also it's a lot easier to play a high schooler on broadway than it is in a film yeah because you're far away exactly and you just have to have a voice that sounds like you're a high schooler which is easy to do yes but and the, ben platt's voice could be a high schooler's voice no totally i think him on the role in, mm -hmm. uh, in the role on broadway is a great choice mm -hmm. Well, and Jordan then, Fisher, I just looked him up. He's also 27. He's also 27, yeah. so they're the same age. he looks so much younger. Like, that looks way more believably like a kid that could be in That's high true. school. That's true. He does look younger. Than, uh, than Platt does. I think there's also, like, uh, criticism around this because uh, Ben Platt's father is producing the movie. Oh, nepotism. So there's, like, accusation that this is, like, a nepotism-based. I don't know if it's so much that as it is, like, this future just being like, yeah, sure, he was on Broadway. Like, that's an easy selection for this mm -hmm. role. Yeah. Well, but then you also go back to, like, in the Heights, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda was the lead in that film, or in the, in the musical, musical. But he trusted Anthony Ramos to, to take... do the role. And he had a cameo, sure. Like, mm -hmm. put Ben Platt in another scene. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. honestly, uh, Lin-Manuel gets, like, a whole song. So... I, would, I would respect him more if he just accepted that he didn't need to be in this role in the movie. Mm -hmm. But, oh well. And I think it's hard because Hollywood has had this culture of so long of, like, Older people playing high schoolers. So, like, 
they thought it was going to be okay and now there's this backlash and they're like what do we do i'm gonna like defend myself but it like feels weird because you're being so defensive well and it's like older people fine but like i don't know yeah well it it just doesn't look right to me exactly but i thought nothing of uh rachel mcadams and mean girls when i saw that as a kid Mm -hmm. and she was like in her 30s doing that role so you know whatever time is weird exactly speaking of actors that are too old or have a huge age gap between their role and their own age it's a perfect segue Tyler. Uh, shoot. was rachel mcadams in your she wasn't i almost put her in we're playing a game now called uh age gap difference i don't know we don't have a name for it age Um, gap that's a good name age gap the game is called age gap where in this game i will uh present an actor and a film they were in in which they had an age discrepancy between their own personal biological age and the age that of the character they're supposedly playing. Got it. So I will present the actor and the film, like I could say Rachel McAdams, Mean Girls, and then Tyler would say the gap he thinks is between the ages of the actor and the character. Yes. I How don't... close do I have to get to earn a point? Like a range of five years? Um, no, because I, I think that's too big, honestly. Mm-hmm. I would say a range like, of... Plus or minus two? Yeah, two. From the gap? So, like, if there's a 10-year gap, I could get a point if I say 12 or, or eight. 8. Exactly. Cool. Okay. But then you get really exciting uh, feeling if I you get it, it exactly right. Okay. Let's get started. Our first film is super bad. Okay. Which, the actor, which actor? We're talking about Jonah, Jonah Hill. Hill. Okay. So, Jonah Hill. Okay. I'm pretty sure in that movie, they're seniors because they're getting ready to go to college. So, his character must have been 17 or 18, maybe. I'm going to go 17. And I think Jonah Hill was probably in his mid-twenties when he filmed this movie. So I'm going to guess that the age difference, the age gap is around nine years. Well, you get the point because you're too, uh, too off. It was actually a seven-year age gap. Okay, so is it 17 and 24? Exactly. Or 18, 25? 17, 24. 24. So you still get the point. Wow, he was... <laughs> Jonah Hill was younger than I am now when he filmed Superbad. That exactly, feels weird, right? Pretty also, cool. Also, like, didn't he help write that movie? I can't believe it. Um, Did he? I think so, right? Maybe. Or, I don't know. Um, anyway, speaking of people that are now writing and directing, Justin Chan from Blue Bayou. Oh, from Twilight? Yes, we're talking about his role in Twilight. Oh, we are. Okay. So they are in Twilight. Are they going to prom? I don't know if they're seniors, but they're in high school. Mm-hmm. But they can drive. 16, I'm going to guess, in Twilight for his character. And I bet he was also in his like mid to late 20s. I'm going to go I'm going to go with a 9-year difference. Oh, even closer this time. It was a 10-year age gap. There you go. So is it 1727? It's 1727. Okay, interesting. Yes. So, imagine being 27 Playing a seventeen-year-old, I couldn't even imagine doing that, and I'm twenty-six. Yeah, that's funny. I feel way older than any high school I see. That's true. Um, okay, next we have Andrew Garfield for his role. This is uh, specifically for the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Oh, okay, Amazing Spider-Man Two. So I don't think I think he's not in high school in that one anymore, right? Are they post high school? Are you asking me, or are you just thinking out loud? I'm thinking out loud. Okay. I think he's not in high school in that one. I know Toby Toby Maguire ones. He's out of high school. I can't remember from Amazing Spider-Man 2 if he's still in high school or not. 
I'm going to say he's just out of high school, like 18 or 19. And I remember, I'm pretty sure that Andrew Garfield was like pretty like old when he, not like old, old, but like older than his character significantly when he did this movie. I'm going to guess this is like an 11 year age gap. Oh, you were so close to getting it in that two eight years. It's actually a fourteen year oh, so age I should gap. Have gotten a tw- I should have said twelve. Exactly. So what is it like eighteen? So uh, at the beginning 30? of this movie, they graduate high school. Okay. Which leads people to think that he's seventeen. Well, you could be eighteen. You could I was be 18. eighteen when I graduated. High That's school. true. I don't know. The website I found said he was seventeen. Okay. And he was thirty-one when they filmed he it. He was thirty-one. Yes. Oh my god! I thought like twenty-nine tops. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Okay. Okay. That's Next. weird. Literally being in your thirties, play, playing, playing a, a high teenager. Graduation. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> um, our next actor, we have another amazing Spider-Man alumni, uh, Sally Field. But this time we're talking about her role in Lincoln. Oh. She played she Mary, Todd. Mary Todd Lincoln. Yes. Well, and here's a, sure here's a hint. She was uh, younger than... Than the... Well... Or no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. She's older than the role she's playing. Sorry. Like, I don't know why I gave you that hint. That didn't make any sense. But <laughs> I think she plays Mary Todd Lincoln mm-hmm. at different points in her life. Yes. So but what I'm is giving the, like, you general the, age of Mary Todd Lincoln? I'm talking about the oldest the Mary Todd is ever in the movie versus Sally How Field. How old do I think Mary Todd Lincoln was... When I'm assuming when it ends was... when he was assassinated. Yes, that's the last I don't, scene of the film. I don't think there's anything past that in the movie Lincoln. Well, Lincoln's actually about Mary Todd Lincoln. You oh. didn't know. See, It's like a Hamilton situation where it's yes. like, that we just named after Eliza. the last name because it's about both of them. Yes. Okay. No, it's not um, really about Mary Todd. <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess Mary Todd Lincoln was probably in like her mid-30s when Lincoln was assassinated. Does that feel right? No, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> I'm just like, people back then didn't live as long. It's true. But like, oh, but also, I don't know how close Lincoln was to the end of his life or how much younger she was. I have no baseline for this at all, actually, <laughs> now that I think about it. But Sally Field, when did Lincoln come out? Sally Field. It was like 2013, 2012. Yeah. So like, yeah, Lincoln was like early to 2010s. Sally Field has had a pretty solid career. I'm going to guess she was like around in her 50s when this movie came out. I'm going to say there's like maybe a 13 year age difference. Age gap. Ooh. I'm sorry, Tyler. No points for you this time. Age gap is 20 years. Oh, higher. Okay. Yes. So was Sally Field in her... Sally Field was 65. In her 60s. Okay. And Mary Todd Lincoln 40s? was in was 45. Okay. When Lincoln was Interesting. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, I wasn't that far off. I was worried that all of a sudden it was going to be like, Mary Todd Lincoln was 70 years old or some <laughs> shit like that. But I feel like that feels right in her like, yeah, mid 40s yes. feels. Yeah. Okay. Um, our next role, we're going all the way back uh, to the, the the heyday of movie musicals. Just tying it back into Evan Hansen. We're doing Olivia Newton-John in Greece. Ooh, okay, yeah, this is a good one. Uh, in Greece, they're, they're... I don't even think they're seniors in high school. I think they're like 16 in Greece or some shit. Well, I think it's the, the summer loving is the summer before senior year. Oh, yeah? So it's like they're 17? I don't know. Um, but I think Olivia Newton-John was probably like... In her late 20s again. I think 12 year age gap. You are so close. It's Ooh, an 13? 11 year age oh. gap. Oh, but I made it in a two point. Yes, okay. you got it. You got it. Uh, 
Olivia Newton-John was 28 17, playing 28. a 17-year-old. I was 17-29. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. And our last one, we're, we're sticking in high school because it's it's an easy place to be. Yeah. We're doing Alan Rook from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. From Ferris Bueller. Okay. They're not... Are they seniors again? Where are like the freshman high school movies? <laughs> are they... Oh, gosh. I don't know. I'm going to say... Well, he can drive. Mm-hmm. 16, 17, maybe... Whatever. That's the range. 16 to 17, 16 to 18. Um, but Alan Ruck. How old was Alan Ruck? I think Alan Ruck was maybe... Uh, he's still doing stuff. So I don't think like... Because if he was in his 30s, then he'd be like... Is he in his 50s now? Well, the 80s was 40 years ago. Wait, is that an 80s movie or a 90s movie? It's an 80s movie. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So he would be a lot older. Is he in his 60s now? <laughs> I guess he does look pretty old on Succession, but I just assumed I was like, I don't know, exaggerated. Um, so he couldn't have been like in his thirties because now he'd be in his seventies. That's too much. Um, let's go with a nine-year age gap. You were so close again. This age gap is twelve years. Oh, just out of the two-year yes. range. Uh, in Ferris Bueller, they are seniors. It's the end of their senior year. Okay. Except for the girlfriend is a junior. Oh, okay. So that might have tripped you up. So he's technically, they're saying he's 18. Oh, but Andrew Garfield's 17 when he graduates? Bullshit. I don't know. I don't know how these websites figured out. Bullshit. But the actual actor age was 30. He was 30 when he played an 18-year-old. Wow. How old is he now? I have no clue. You can uh, use your internet for that. 65. Dang. He looks good for 65, honestly. I mean, I mean, I could be like a gray 40 year old. You know what I mean? That's true. Just the gray hair is like pretty much the only real. Wow. He's older than my dad. That's weird. (laughs) My dad could be on succession, but no. Instead, he's just sitting at home. Come on, Mike. (laughs) Don't you want to be on prestige HBO television? Mike, you could have gone to the Emmys two years ago. Wow. Sad. And I could have been your plus one. <laughs> sorry. Oh. You don't think he would have taken Terry? No, sorry, Mom. I'm going. <laughs> Just a blanket statement out there for any of my family who happen to listen to this. If any of us ever gets to go to any sort of over television awards, you know you're taking me. I mean, I'll just appreciate it so much more. <laughs> I just I just think that's You can be the guy that's like fair. You walk down the aisle and you can like nudge and be like, Hey, you should go say hi to them. That's like, you know, Taika Waititi or something. I would be the one, like, genuinely, like, not in the industry, so I'm like, I don't give a shit if I, like, don't applaud for whoever wins. I'd be like, boo! <laughs> Snub! Anthony Hopkins, really? Anthony Hopkins' role <laughs> in the father is superb. I, I think know it's he's a great, well-deserved win. Whatever. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what other snubs. Crash? Um, would, really? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> you just yell at Crash. Still, even like you go to the 2022 Oscars, you go, I'm still upset about Crash. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all for today's episode. I had fun, Ryan. Did you have fun? I had so much fun. Listener, did you have fun? I hope they said yes, but we won't know because once again... Time capsule. This is our time capsule and we have no idea. In fact, a global apocalypse could happen before we even get to upload this into the world. So we're just crossing our fingers that this somehow makes its way into your ears in the future, listener. Uh, but before we go, I do have to ask <laughs> Sorry. you... Sorry. 
But before we go, I do have to ask you, Ryan, which of the trailers we talked about today was your favorite, and which of the movies we talked about today are you most excited to see, and why? Well, I think my favorite trailer of the bunch... Oh, I think it's The Eyes of Tammy Faye. I think that trailer really sells me on what the movie is. Uh, it's a world that I know exists, but I haven't really delved into much before, besides like The Righteous Gemstones, which is a comedy on HBO. Um, so it got me intrigued and interested in that. But the film I'm most excited for is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I'm a huge like superhero guy. I'm excited to see where this goes in the Marvel Universe. And I'm really enjoying Kim's Convenience. I just finished season four. And I'm hoping to... S- I'm excited to see what Simu does next. I am going to double up on both of your votes, Ryan. I think As of Tammy Faye is my favorite trailer. And I'm most excited to see Shang-Chi because as much as I do love some original IP... I'm a sucker for the franchise in the MCU. It's I'm true. just I think in particular because this is like sort of the restarting like we mentioned of mm-hmm. phase four, like I'm just excited to see how this gets off the ground, what they set up to be carried on forward in the MCU with future installments, but also like what do they do with Shang-Chi that they haven't done before and what are the new things that they're gonna bring because so much of the like Disney Plus series has been sort of like an evolution to the MCU storytelling and breaking the formula a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that continues with their theatrical releases as well. Yeah. And it looks honestly like a great step in the right direction. And also a lot of fun. Like I want a fun movie. That's not like the Jungle Cruise where I'm like, eh, it was bad, but it was fun. Like I want a good, well-directed, well like produced, mm-hmm. but also fun blockbuster movie. Oh. And I think Shang-Chi will be that. Yeah. Well, sure. uh, you could, you still can watch the Suicide Squad. It hits all those boxes. Oh, that's true. I gotta see the Suicide Squad. <laughs> But Shang-Chi looks great, too. Well, uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, like and subscribe on all our preview, review, wherever On all we the are. podcast platforms. And if you want absolutely no content from us between episodes, you can follow us on, on Twitter and Instagram at Preview Review. Wait, I think I've tweeted once in the past year, so that's good. And I, th- I post an Instagram On our Instagram, we week. announce every time there's a new episode. But I'm saying there's no... You're not getting anything new there. Just we're just letting you know when the new episode. Sometimes we used to do like bonus content, but we gave that up At really this early. Point, is it worth it? It's gonna be on our Patreon. Our, on our on our OnlyFans. On our OnlyFans. <laughs> so if you if you find preview review on OnlyFans, please just send it to us. I'm curious what they're doing with our name. Yeah, um, I, are they using <laughs> our our handle or something? They're like re-uploading our episodes. It's like, what if we're like really popular on OnlyFans, but we have no idea? Yeah, like someone out there is like charging like $12 a month on OnlyFans just to listen to the free episodes for free everywhere else. It's audio only. Like, there's no visuals. It's just insane. Okay, I have no clue what we're I would do. We're not actually on any of those platforms. Well, we are on the Twitter and, and the Twitter. Yeah. And we're so on every uh, Spotify, podcast Apple Podcasts, yes. all that. You already you know. know that because you're listening to us and that means you care. So thank you. Thank you for caring. We love you. Good night. Goodbye.